Welcome to Saving You is Killing Me, Loving Someone with an Addiction podcast. Loving someone with an addiction is a life of chaos. This podcast is to help you take back your power and build strength, hope, and restore peace in your life. We use the science and art of positive psychology, professionals in their field, along with personal stories of hope, resilience, and strength. We hope you can discover how the courage to focus on you can help put your life back together. When you are in a place of exhaustion, hopelessness, and emptiness, we are a community that knows all too well the turmoil that comes from loving someone with an addiction. We are here to help you compassionately struggle well. Hey there, Andrea here. I am the author of Saving You Is Killing Me, Loving Someone With An Addiction. And I always say I wish we were meeting under different circumstances, but I am so happy that you're here. I am so happy that you are you know, listening so that you can focus on you and have the courage to take back your power and not let someone else's addiction destroy your life. So I wanted to pop on just before we go to this episode with the guest because I wanted to let you know that there might be a bit of a trigger in this episode. Um, there are profanities that we use and um, I just wanted to come on before because if you're feeling like you maybe not want to listen to the perspective of the addict, um, then you might want to skip over this uh, this episode. But I have to say there's a lot of insightful information and a lot of support that's kind of hidden away within this episode. But I did want to give you a little bit of a warning before you um, listen to the whole episode, just in case you want to come back in the future or skip over this one. Hello there, Andrea here. I am so excited because I have a wonderful guest on the show today. And he wrote a book. And now the title is going to really take you back because it is called Drunk as Fuck. And now I love this title because, oh my gosh, so many times my addicted loved one came home drunk as fuck. <laughs> so I am, I kind of appreciate that title and I hope you don't have little kids in the, in the car. I hope you can plug your ears. Um, welcome to the show. It's so nice to have you here, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yay. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, so first of all, my, my name is Ryan Keneally and, uh, I did, I, I wrote the book with the brash title. Um, just because there, I didn't see a lot of uh, content out there that's like real and raw and paints the whole picture of what it's like from, you know, the addicted person's perspective, as well as um, my significant other, my wife, uh, as well as her perspective. Um, so I thought that that would be important. And then I, I sprinkled a little uh, toilet humor in there for fun. So try to keep it light. Yeah, you got to keep it light when it's such a serious subject matter. So tell us um, your journey. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what inspired you to write this book? Uh, yeah, so what inspired me was uh, about a little over a year ago, I just made the choice to quit drinking. And um, it was um, more of a roller coaster than I thought it would be after after years of just drinking all the time whenever I had free time. Uh, so I started documenting the process and what it was like. And then it sort of started to turn into somewhat of a memoir. And on my wife's suggestion is said, why don't you just write about your life? And then the points leading up and culminating and in, in, into a detox. So I did. And, um, and she, uh, she actually came up with the title and 
And I went ahead and just and just made it sort of a, a series of stories leading up to that event. Amazing. So now I have to say that when you love someone with an addiction, I know all our listeners, a lot of our listeners, they love someone with an addiction. So from their perspective, and I love that you included your wife in the process of writing this book. And um, so I'm very curious about actually her, her input around that too. Um, I know everyone's kind of wondering, like, you know, you, you got sober, like you are sober now. And this is basically what we all wish our addicted loved one would do. We all wish this for them. So do you have anything to say that that, like speak to that? Like we wish that, can we, can we all have like Ryan's in our life (laughs) who choose to get sober? You know, definitely. I have two points to that. Actually, um, after some thought, I, I brought up the same thing you said about, about my wife's perspective. So she actually wrote a chapter in it. So we thought that was super unique. Um, chapter 11 is her, is just her, no guidance. No, we didn't talk about it and come up with a storyline. She just wrote. And, uh, so, so she, you do get to hear her perspective. Um, and then the second note is, uh, so it, I, I, I wish I had some sort of, uh, advice for people like, well, this is exactly what you should do. Uh, unfortunately what happened is it, it, got me. It, it decided I uh, basically drank to the point where it, it wasn't staying down. It wasn't, it, the alcohol would not stay in the system anymore. And I was sort of forced to quit after a series of doctor's appointments sort of leading up to, well, you're having this problem or your liver's not looking so good. Your enzymes are high. And then that's stressing me out. And then you're turning to alcohol to numb the stress. And then it became too much. And um, I ultimately got to the point where I was like, this is ruining my life and I'm going to have to just stop. And unfortunately, uh, detox and rehab facilities are just really expensive. So I just white knuckled it at home. And, um, and I, I explain it and it's about 10 days of, of a hellish detox. And then you come out the other side feeling a lot better. Oh my gosh. So is there, I know a lot of us read all about rock bottom and I remember thinking in my head, I wish like, when can he hit rock bottom or when is he going to hit rock bottom? I remember saying to him as well, when I caught him stealing out of my wallet in the car, I remember grabbing my wallet and looking him in the eyes and I said, this is rock bottom. (laughs) Like it was rock bottom for me. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like this person that I love, this person that I trust, this person, you know, that is no longer him inside himself is taking money, my hard earned money that I work for cash out of my wallet, like break my heart, anger, devastation. It's like, I can't even, I can't even tell you like, and so, so I'm wondering like, what is this rock bottom? Like you, you kind of were forced to, uh, because of your health and things like that too. Can you speak to rock bottom? Cause I know our listeners are going to be like, uh, what is rock bottom and how can I m- make my addicted loved one reach rock bottom so that they can start coming back? Totally. I'm glad you mentioned rock bottom. So I, I do allude to rock bottom in, in my book. Um, for, for me, from what I've learned, rock bottom is different for everybody. So uh, there's a line in the book that says, I'm lucky that my rock bottom found me while I was a homeowner with a support system. You know, my wife's a therapist. Yeah. So um, luckily it wasn't, you know, people think of rock bottom, they're thinking living under a bridge and stealing stuff. And, and that, that's just not the case for everybody. Some, some people find a you can find your bottom or you don't even need to get down there. You can, you can see it from the ladder. You can start climbing up at any time. 
Um, so mm -hmm. the rock, basically the rock bottom is it, it's either going to come to you or uh, or you can see it and turn around and, and change the event, change your course. Yeah. I love that. that. So you can be on a ladder and you can decide, okay, this is rock bottom for me. I'm just going to start climbing up. I love that uh, positivity. That feels really, really hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay, so we I know my listeners are like, okay, do you even realize the torture that you put your wife through? Like I I can speak from my my perspective and my experience. Um, I didn't think that he was aware of the torture he was putting me through. And I still don't think, you know, he's aware of that. Um, so and I say torture because there's so much abuse, there was so much heartache, there was so much manipulation, stealing, lying, and all those things. So I, from your perspective um are you aware of that like is that what yes. happens there yes yes um so i was able to to mask it for many years and we've been together for coming up on a decade now um and i was always just a functional alcoholic really if you want to call it what it is um so i was able to get the degrees and make the businesses and get you know get the get the jobs. I was always, you know, we got the house and everything, partly thanks to, to the military, but, um, you know, it, it never really seemed to be too big of a deal. But of course, with anybody that has an addiction problem, there's going to be anger outbursts and stupid things that you do. Um, I'm sorry to hear that you were stolen from. Luckily, I didn't get to that point, I think, or, um, you know, we always shared an account. So it's, it's not, I probably overspent, definitely. You know, I probably spent way more on booze than she wanted me to. But I, I did think it was bad. It was really bad in the, towards the end, but right before I detoxed and decided to quit, I couldn't leave the house. I was so like panic stricken. I couldn't go outside. So I, I would ask her shamefully in the morning, be like, can you just go, you just give me a bottle of whiskey? Like, I can't work today without that. And I just can't get myself to the store. And I felt terrible after coming out of the detox. I'm like, God, what an ass. Like, why would you do that to her? And, um, so, and I made that clear in the book. Like I, I, that's why I asked her, like, if I'm going to see if she wants to write a chapter about her experience. Cause I wanted, I wanted to hear what she had to say. Cause a lot of that was blackout time for me. And unfortunately I don't remember a lot of the dumb stuff I did. Um, Luckily, I, I, I still, luckily she, she hung on. Doesn't sound like I did permanent damage that I know of, fingers crossed. But um, yes, I, I was aware, am aware. And yeah, I, I basically profusely apologized inside the book. Oh my gosh. So yeah, so there's some shame around that, obviously. And and just that recognizing that there was the awareness uh, minus the blackout points. And um, I, I have to thank you so much for sharing that vulnerability and um, you also brought up this idea of like functional. So I have to say that I was with my addicted loved one for like nine years. And I have to say like the first probably seven years of it, he was a functional alcoholic and drug addict. And so it's incredible because it's almost like this denial, like this idea, like it, it did, can we talk a little bit about denial? Because I remember even him didn't once we found I found out about the addiction because it was hidden it was almost like it was like no I don't have a problem it's like yeah but I'm seeing this bizarre behavior it's like there is a problem here like um I was even in denial so let's talk about this functional like when you can function but there still is a problem and this idea of denial can we talk about that a little yeah, absolutely. I think I think anybody with an addiction problem goes through a denial period. I certainly did. Um, 
my the, in the book, I start out with the with three pivotal moments when I, when I look back on my life, and those are the those are probably some pretty big denial periods, you know. And they start they can start whenever for for different people, but for me, it started in high school, and um, and yeah, I'd always kind of fed myself, well, like you're achieving this, you're doing this, you know. When um, when I was in the army, if they wanted me to stop, I just stopped for however long they wanted me to, you know, thirty days or whatever, and whatever. I would get back to drinking when I did. So I was like, I would feed myself these little nuggets of BS. Like, yeah, you're fine. You went 30 days. You didn't necessarily crave it, but it was bull. I was craving it. I was just waiting until I was like holding my breath until I could go back to drinking really. And, uh, uh, didn't matter. You know, I get a, got a few college degrees, finished the military, got a, a, a big boy career and it all of it was bull. It was all surrounded by the the alcohol. And, um, for me, I just, I drank too much to the point where I had to stop. Luckily, um, that was enough for me. I know that it takes a lot of willpower regardless, whether it's a medically induced, uh, detox or not, but, um, yeah, it's fun. I think everybody to a point is functional, uh, at, at some point and they'll, they'll, without candy coating it, they'll lie to themselves for many years, uh, feed themselves all kinds of crap that says that, it's not a problem. Well, you drink every day. You have been for decades. So yeah, it's a problem. Even though you're accomplishing things doesn't mean it's not an issue. Oh, you raised such a good point. So it's almost like if you feel like you're, you're holding a job for a while or you're, you know, accomplishing your college or you're, you know, you, um, you're able to, you know, show up to parties or like get together still, or, you know, or you might be the life of the party. Like I know my addicted level was super fun and now I know why. <laughs> um, so so I think that you raise such an amazing point is that that when when someone is feeling like they're functioning or when they're they're keeping it sort of together that it's like they they don't think that it's a problem or it, it doesn't it doesn't seem like it's a problem like and then I love your your example too of like I can go a couple of days so it's like this illusion of control makes them feel like they're in control of um, the alcohol or the the drugs. Right. Yeah. It, that's a good, that's a great way to put it. Illusion of control. Cause it, from, it could seem like it's under control and it might be to a certain extent and until it's no longer under control. Mm, yeah. yeah. I think I have a, I have a chapter. I don't think, I know I have a chapter in there. It's called a, a it's not a problem until it is. And that kind of, it kind of touches on that. I love that. It's not a problem until it is. Yeah. And I think that the people that are surrounding the addicted loved one too, they they might see be more aware of it earlier because they see the change in behavior. They see, you know, the, their soul kind of receding out of their body and they're no longer in there. It's like, um, I think that maybe that, like, do you have to see that illusion of control in order to, you know, decide that, okay, I, I'm no longer in control. Does that happen? That's a, that's a good question. That's a tough one. Um, I, I feel it was a really uh, blacked out time for me, but I, I felt, I, I knew, yes, I think, uh, sifting through it in the memory bank here, I knew I was losing control. Um, I didn't realize how much control I had lost until I quit and sort of regained consciousness and, and could look back somewhat, um, but yeah, it's, we, my wife and I have talked about it several times now, and she's told me like, I could see the general, uh, um, uh, path, like going downwards, like the, the regression of, of sort of hitting the peak of like, 
this is about as much as you can accomplish with alcohol. And then there's this downward slide of it just starts, you know, your work uh, performance goes down. Um, you stop doing certain things like little stuff. Like I don't want to go to this function, even though there's alcohol, I don't want to go there. And um, it's a, a lot to do with a lack of sleep. It causes uh, anxiety. So for me, it was like, basically made me a, a homebody, even though I worked from home and was only required to go into the office once a while, once in a while, I could slowly not even go into the office. Like that once a month was hard for me. So I, I could, I could see it happening. Yeah. And I agree with that. It's that slow decline. And a lot of people think like how, like, you know, from the outside looking, it's like, how do you stay with an addicted loved one? Or if it's a parent, like, how do you manage that and, you know, let them get away or why are you enabling them and all these things, we get the fingers pointed at us, but it's like the, one of the main reasons is because we, first of all, we love these people in our lives. Right. And we basically, we do what anyone would do when they love someone so much. Right and care. So it's, but you're right. It's this downward spiral and it's that like slow regression. So it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And I think that that is what keeps us in there is that we see this. It's first of all, it's slow. So we sometimes don't realize how bad it's getting. And then we're, it's getting worse and worse. And I think that that is such an amazing thing to bring to our attention is that that's why we, you know, we stay with the addicted loved one as long as we do, like, cause it's a slow regression. And I know in my situation, it was very slow and steady. And then it was hidden, a hidden addiction until you just couldn't hide anymore because it was bizarre behavior. Like you said, staying up all night, binges, just not getting sleep. And then, you know, just like not wanting to go to functions anymore. I had to make excuses for, you know, sleep for days or chronic sinus infections. Like I remember we were supposed to go to a wedding and we, we couldn't even go because he was like sleeping on the couch. I couldn't even wake him up. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm going to go to a wedding by myself, <laughs> like your friend's wedding. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is shockingly similar. Yeah. That's uh, that's that. Yeah. Sleeping all the time. And something similar happened to me my wife and I were, we had a trip to, to uh, see my best friend and uh, I just couldn't bring myself to get on the flight. So we missed out on the whole trip because of that. And it was like, there's money down the toilet. And yeah, I feel, I feel for you. That's, that's, a, that's a bummer, but that's, that is what happens. It's, it's that slow regression. Low regression and then, yeah, losing jobs and, you know, all those things. So, um, and a lot of people listening are, are living that reality right now too. And I'm just so thrilled that you were able to get yourself out. And I'm so thrilled that, you know, you had that wonderful home, like you're, you have, you're a homeowner, you have your wife there, you still have your support system in place and that you recognize that, you know, you were, you're going down the ladder, but you were able to stop and keep climbing up. So I just want to celebrate that for you and, um, just wish you all the best. And, and I love that you turned pain into purpose and you wrote this book and uh, it's going to help so many people. Um, I know also it's just so lovely that you included your wife and honored the fact that, you know, she went through struggle as well, given all of this. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious, um, what would be like one message that you would love to give the listeners? Yeah, I um, one message would be like, the main, the focal point of the book is, is, is you, you don't have to realize everybody knows there's a bottom. If you're doing something with drugs or alcohol or, or gambling or anything that can be addictive or, or life altering, there's a bottom. Everybody's got one. It might be homeowner with a support system, or you could go 
break through that bottom and find a new bottom. But everybody knows it's there. So if you know it's there, just climb up, start climbing up. You don't need to reach the bottom of the actual ladder because realistically at the bottom of the, the ladder for everybody is death. And don't just don't go there. You, uh, it's easier said than done. I know that. Um, you know, if you need some people need different types of support. Whatever that is, go find it and then fix it. Oh, I love that. I love it. So wherever you are on that ladder, you know, just start climbing, just one step at a time, and um, that you don't have to. You don't have to keep going down. You can climb up. And that could also apply to those who love someone with an addiction as well, is that, you know, there's a rock bottom for us too. I remember thinking, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm exhausted, depleted. I cannot go on this roller coaster with you anymore. And, um, and so that's what I did. And mine were just like baby steps forward. I slowly started saying yes to things, slowly started getting my life back and finding the courage to focus on me and not him so that I can put my life back together. And so I think that that, that applies in so many ways is just like just making that choice to start climbing or start walking or start, you know, going in the direction that you want to go in. That's such a, a beautiful message. So I know everyone's going to want to get a hold of you. And so I will put all your links in the show notes. And so um, just let us know if there's a wonderful way to get a hold of you in, in the next little while. Yes. And sorry for the dog there. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can, everybody can reach out to me on the, you can at Instagram or Twitter is at Ryan Keneally or Ryan And uh, feel free to email me too at Ryan at Ryan And that's with the K. Yay. Yeah, okay. Yep. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. I know that takes a lot of bravery as well, especially with our community. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, it, it, it's, uh, it's not, it doesn't paint me in the best light, but I figure it was a story worth telling. And if it can help somebody awesome, that would be great. It did. And it will. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. If you want additional support, you can head on over to our website at savingyouiskillingme.com, where we have a wonderful, supportive, compassionate community. We are here for you. You are not alone. We also have a private Facebook group and Instagram feed called Saving You Is Killing Me, Loving Someone With An Addiction. Be sure to subscribe here so you get the latest episodes. And of course, share this with your community and your support groups or anyone that's going through this struggle so we can all work together to take our lives back and restore joy. Thank you so much for joining me, not only today, but week after week. Although I wish we were meeting under different circumstances, I'm so grateful that I get to show up for you and share these episodes so that we can go on this journey together. Until next week, sending hugs.